There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, folks. Welcome to this super special episode of Luke's English Podcast, all about the World Cup in 2018, which is in Russia, of course. Uh, before we start, I'd like to just mention my sponsors, the first one being italki. If you're looking for a one-to-one teacher to get lots of speaking practice into your life, uh, you could use italki. It's very easy and convenient. You can have your lessons uh, on Skype from wherever you want, uh, the comfort of your own home. Uh, and when you buy some talking time with italki, they will send you a voucher worth a free lesson. Go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. The other sponsor for the episode is, is Luke's English Podcast Premium. I'm sponsoring myself. I just wanted to remind you that uh, the premium service is now uh, operational. It's fully operational, which means that you can sign up for uh, various extra special bonuses, all focused on helping you learn English, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation, especially the way in which we actually say things in English. How, do, how does the grammar actually sound? And all that kind of thing. So sort of putting all those things together. And you get... Um, extra special premium episodes plus various bonuses too. Uh, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium to get started. And it's all for the price of basically like a coffee or a beer every month. Like you could buy me a, a cup of coffee every month and you can get access to all this stuff. Okay, right. So let's get started with the episode properly. And here is the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. So welcome, welcome, welcome to this World Cup episode. In this one, I'm going to be talking to you about, well, as much as I can that's been going on in the World Cup since it started. And we're kind of now getting to the end of the group stage. The second round is, is sort of starting to take shape. The knockout stage is uh, is on its way. Um, and so in this episode, I'm going to talk about the groups. I'm going to talk about the opening ceremony. I'm going to talk about the teams and various other little bits and pieces. Uh, I invite all of you to leave your comments under this episode because I want to get uh, some commentary from you. What do you think? What do you think of the World Cup so far? Uh, particular games or goals or players? What's been going on? What do you think of VAR or VAR? How do you say it? Do you say VAR or do you say VAR? Uh, what do you think of all these things? Leave your comments in the comments section uh, of this episode and in sort of future episodes because I expect I'll be doing a few more World Cup episodes before the competition finishes. Um, I will, uh, I'll read out your comments. So it could be a good way to kind of get your involvement and I can read out your comments and it could be a good set of discussion points and things like that. Um, so the World Cup 2018. Um, I don't know what platform you're using to listen to this episode. You might be using like the Apple Podcast app or Pocket Casts or something on an Android device or something. Um, I do recommend that you get my app because then you can get little other bonuses and there are various free app-only episodes in there and stuff. I've just got three tips for those of you who are using the 
the app. I just want to let you know how to use it like effectively. So there are actually controls on a tab at the bottom. If you're listening to an episode, there's a little tab at the bottom that says uh, now playing. If you just swipe that up, uh, you'll reveal little controls, including skip forwards and skip back, because some people want to like skip back by a few seconds or skip forwards. You can also set the length of the skip in the settings in the, in the side menu. And then you can skip forwards and back with that little tab at the bottom saying now playing. Uh, check the categories in the side menu. The three little white lines in the top left corner. Um, click, uh, tap that, and you'll get categories. Tap the categories, and you can see everything uh, all laid out in in specific categories, including all the normal episodes, phrasal verbs, videos, music and jingles, premium stuff, app only episodes, and so on. Um, and there's an episode in there. I think it's in Welcome to the Luke's English Podcast app. Uh, it's called Listen. It's called the Tour of the Ellie app and you can listen to that one to get the full guide on how to use the app properly right then so let's let's go and let's talk about the world cup then so what do you think how's it been going so far how's it been going so far for you i've been really enjoying it it's been great to have world cup football on the telly again it's always fun to get in into the spirit of things i've got my world cup wall chart Every World Cup fan needs to have the wall chart going on. So a World Cup wall chart is what you sort of stick on the wall. It might come free with a newspaper and it gives you the entire um, sort of schedule of all the matches that are going to take place. And you fill in the scores. You can fill in the teams and the scores and you can kind of plot the progress of the World Cup on your special wall chart. So I've got my wall chart going on. And uh, so, well, what are, the, what are the basics? You know probably the, the main basics, like where it's happening. It's happening in Russia, of course. Uh, how many teams are taking part? 32 teams. So it's a really big one. It's a, it's a very big World Cup this year. 32 teams, which means about 64 games in total. 64 games. That is a lot. And um, it's going to finish on the 15th of July when we have the, the, the final, the World Cup final. Uh, I wonder who's going to be involved in that. We're going to make a few predictions later in this episode. I am curious as to what your predictions are as well, of course. So if you've got your predictions lining up, who's your personal favourite? Let us know in the comments section. So as I said, we're now entering the second round, which is the knockout stage. It's, for me, it's been great so far. Lots of goals. And lots of amazing goals, too. I mean, there have been so many awesome goals already. I can't really sort of pick specific ones out, but there have been some amazing um, strikes from sort of outside the penalty box, long-range shots. Um, so lots of action going on. Uh, some upsets, some some sort of slightly... Um, surprising results and some teams in trouble when they really shouldn't be in trouble some of the teams we expect to to do much better are struggling and may even get knocked out before the second round I'm talking about Argentina there really I suppose Uh, I think that they're playing tonight in fact I think they're playing Nigeria tonight so um, you know, we'll see what happens with them. I'll talk more about them in a minute. Um, so lots of good stuff going on, lots of uh, also upsets as well. And a few um, controversies with VAR or VAR um, going on as well. Um, I've been watching as many games as I can, sometimes online, because French TV doesn't show all of the England games. So I sometimes have to watch them online. And there is actually, I discovered this website. I don't know how I discovered this. TVcatchup.com. Check it out. TVcatchup.com. And you can actually watch World Cup matches online 
um, as they're broadcast by the BBC. So you can watch the BBC's coverage of uh, football matches. Uh, they're usually there on BBC One. But with tvcatchup.com, you can basically watch sort of UK TV from your computer, which is amazing. I, I wonder how long it's going to be online. I get the feeling it probably will get taken down at some point. I'm not sure exactly how legal it is. So I don't know if I'm uh, maybe not advising you to use it, but I'm just saying that um, it is there. And, uh, you know, you could maybe watch uh, that for your English you know, listening to the English commentary. That could be interesting. So the opening ceremony, let, let me start by talking about that then. So what about the opening ceremony, which happened, when was it? Like a couple of weeks ago now, I think. Um, well, I mean, it was it was the usual stuff, isn't it? The usual kind of stuff you get um, in a World Cup opening ceremony. You know, the, you know the sort of thing I mean? Just imagine a generic World Cup opening ceremony, and that's pretty much w- what you got. It was kind of like people in outfits, um sort of dancing around uh, on the pitch, doing sort of big visual things, a lot of sort of vague peace and love imagery, you know, just love and peace and football brings the world together and different costumes to represent different countries and things like that and a dance routine, just the sort of thing we've seen loads of times before. I mean, I mean, what can you do with the World Cup opening ceremony? There's not that much you can do with it, really, other than have some funny costumes and represent all the different countries and do dancing and get like a pop star in there as well. So, of course, this time we had uh, famous Russian singer Robbie Williams opened the ceremony with a medley of his hits. And I was watching that and Robbie Williams came out and started singing. And I was like, wait a minute, why is, why is Robbie Williams opening this? <laughs> That's weird. That's a bit random. Why is it Robbie Williams? I was thinking, what's, what's, where's the Russian connection with, with Robbie Williams? I don't know. Maybe there's some business deal going down there. I've no idea. But anyway, it was quite fun to see Robbie Williams. Uh, it, it took me back to the 90s. And as I was watching the ceremony with Robbie Williams singing Let Me Entertain You, I kept having to remind myself that this is World Cup 2018, not World Cup 1998. Although it felt like that when you know Robbie was singing Angels and his other hits. I was like, is this World Cup 98? What's going on? So anyway, it was a great effort by Robbie Williams, and he was joined by a Russian singer whose name, unfortunately, I, her name escapes me at this point. I think she's probably a big star in Russia as well. But anyway, it was, it was fun to see Robbie Williams, and it, it's basically you can't go wrong with Robbie because of like two main things. The first thing is his songs are, are genuinely really good. He's got a collection of I don't know, six or seven really top draw songs like Angels and like uh, Feel and some of these other songs are genuinely really good songs. I'm not sure who wrote them. I think he had writers working with him for these songs and stuff. Um, so that that is great. But also, Robbie Williams is always a really great performer. He always puts on a great show. He's very chas- charismatic. So he's able to kind of bring up the atmosphere in most rooms, and in this case, he had a whole stadium to try and move, and it was a gallant effort on his part to raise the atmosphere in the stadium. And um, I thought it was thoroughly entertaining to see Robbie Williams doing his thing, and he also gave the finger to the camera at the end of his performance, and I thought, yeah, good for you, Robbie. Show a bit of sort of English punk attitude. Not that he's a punk or anything by any means, but still... It's like, yeah, all right, <laughs> fine. I know there are loads of kids watching this, but uh, that was that was quite cool in a way. Uh, he did it for free, by the way. He d- I don't think he got paid anything for that. 
did it for free. But I, I, I wonder who he's hanging around with if he's getting that gig. Uh, but good for him. What's the atmosphere at the start of the World Cup? Well, I wrote what I'm writing, what I'm reading right now is stuff that I wrote um, while I was watching the opening ceremony. I had my computer there, opening ceremony on the TV, and I was writing these notes. So this is stuff that I wrote on the day. And I was wondering, what is the atmosphere at the start? Now, in the position we're in right now, the football has got underway, and so it's, that's taken centre stage. But before the World Cup really began, we were all thinking about the sort of global situation and about, you know, what's the atmosphere of, of this World Cup uh, that's happening in Russia this year? And, I mean, you know that England and Russia recently have had um, a very troubled relationship and generally, there's a sort of Cold War feeling going on between Russia and the West. Um, it's hard to explain, really. I mean, the Cold War is over, but there's still a lot of this weird stuff going on. I get the impression that sort of people in the West are getting one side of the story and people in Russia are getting the other side of the story. And there's a lot of grey area and a lot of mystery. I don't really know what's going on here, what is really at stake. Um, you know, that you know what happened between England and Russia recently our side of the story is that there was some guy who was a former double agent or something who got poisoned and in fact lots of people in a restaurant got poisoned including his daughter and the guy survived in the end but it was a a, what they said was it was an attempt on his life by uh, agents from Russia because this guy was a double agent and stuff but I think that Russia denied it and there are also issues with Syria and what's going on there and all the allegations of Russian involvement in the US election and Brexit uh, and, you know, this this is what we get from some parts of our media that, you know, the Brexit result or the unexpected uh, election of Trump was somehow engineered um, from uh, from Russia or something. Uh, I mean, you've probably got a totally different version of the story. I'm not putting my what's the I'm not sort of um, putting my I need a good expression here. I'm not putting my foot in either in either camp. Um I'm just staying neutral. I'm, I'm like the, I'm like Switzerland on this one. Um, I don't know what's going on, but it's basically a pretty weird atmosphere, right? I mean, we can agree on that. This this is the and this is this this was at least the climate of the World Cup um, when the opening ceremony started. Um, when 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 people look east to Moscow, these are the sorts of things they see or think about. I don't know if this is like controversial of me to say. I feel like I'm I'm on very dodgy ground, but I'm I'm not giving you my opinion on anything. I'm just kind of ex- trying to explain what it's like probably in England when English people think about Russia or maybe going there and the general way in which Russia as a subject is handled in the press in England. I'm just reporting. I'd love to know what it's like in other countries too, how you guys cover stories like the recent spy thing in England with the poisoning and what's going on in Syria and Brexit and uh, Donald Trump and the allegations about him being involved in Russia and the elections and stuff. How do you guys get these stories? And I mean everyone. Um, So, you know, there's that that kind of stuff is i guess kind of clichés or some sort of version of events there's that and also people might think about like crazy russian people doing funny things in online videos like crazy driving videos with crazy russian drivers uh but also plenty of other things too much more positive things like the literature in russia a fascinating history the architecture some amazing buildings the culture the arts the old stories uh, the rich millionaires 
and the mystery of what we don't really know about Russia, all wrapped up in a weird atmosphere of media manipulation on both TV and online. So there's all that political stuff. And I've been thinking about this, and I've decided that as far as I'm concerned, that's some stuff that's going on between our governments, right? It's not necessarily our business. It's just some other people are doing all this stuff. On an individual level, if I got the chance to hang around with a bunch of Russians or people from anywhere, for that matter, I think that we would just have a good time watching the football, having a beer and just making each other laugh. Um, God knows what our governments are doing. I find all that stuff a bit scary and depressing and confusing. And since the World Cup is all about peace and love and some guys kicking a ball around, I'd rather just leave all that political stuff in the background but we'll see we'll you know we'll see what comes up as i continue to talk about it some people say that you should mention these things right there's some people who would be saying no you should mention stuff that's going on politically but you know because of corruption and because the real purpose of the world cup which is as some people say just pr for a company and there are various dodgy investment deals and covering up the negative details and putting on an acceptable face while distracting away from other things um now i'm not saying that this is just russia i'm saying that it's every world cup or at least the, the recent ones you get the sense that there's a lot of cozying up and getting into bed with each other and, and all that sort of thing so i don't know i don't know what you think about all that stuff um, it's probably best just not to talk about it, really. As I said, I, d- I really don't want to get caught up in a political minefield here. And I'm, I'm certain there will be Russian people listening to me saying those things just then. Uh, all of the things which I'm reporting, not actually saying myself, this is just the way that people in general think about this, I think. It's not just my opinion. I'm just reporting. So I'm just the messenger here, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. Uh, I'm also not saying uh, I even know what's going on. So who knows? In any case... This atmosphere also includes England and other countries like England. Our fans who will be travelling to Russia, they're not known for their good behaviour, are they? England fans. Football, football, England, England. You know, all that stuff that English football fans sing. You're going to get your fucking head kicked in. You're going to get your fucking head kicked in. That sort of thing. You're going home in a fucking ambulance. Um, You know what English fans are like. Um, you know, English fans are often sort of terrible thugs who love fighting and probably being a bit racist. In fact, a lot of the hardcore football fans from around the world are racist, aren't they? You'd expect them to get on with each other, but they, no, they don't. They they love to smash each other's heads in and all that stuff. So anyway, English fans can be troublesome, but I think Russia has been pretty careful with the security. I just hope that no English fans get arrested for bad behaviour, just because it might stoke up tensions between our countries. But anyway, hopefully there won't be any violence between football fans. Hopefully the atmosphere will be peaceful, friendly and celebratory. Hopefully we'll see the passion, the drama and the sort of action that great World Cups are made of. And as I write this, Putin is addressing the audience. Um, at the beginning of the the World Cup and pretty much saying the same thing as me. He's basically saying, and I paraphrase, football is all about the world coming together in the spirit of love, transcending barriers, language barriers. It's a force that unites people. Yes, all that kind of thing, which is nice. Um, To me, it seems like he's saying, the World Cup is a great symbol of friendly international sporting competition. And this year, we're proud to say that... Through this World Cup held in Russia, you will join together in the spirit of love or we will kill you. Okay, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. The yes, I I know, I know, I know. All right, come on. I'm just taking the piss. Now, 
uh, at this point, the FIFA spokesman is speaking, and he's probably saying, welcome to the FIFA World Cup held here in Russia, where they are very generous, uh, very generous indeed. Uh, you should have seen the welcome package that was part of their original bid to host these games. Whew. Hopefully the world will profit from this competition as much as FIFA already has, etc., etc. Okay, you could do more jokes, more cynical jokes on this sort of thing, but I'm just going to give myself a note here. Note to self, do not be cynical. Instead, choose to echo cliched World Cup platitudes about football uniting the world. So don't worry, it's all going to be okay because football is going to unite the world in a spirit of harmony and love and shared values about kicking a ball around. Um, by the way, as I go through this episode, I'm sorry for missing any details. There, there, I'm sure I'll miss some details of things that have happened. As I said, please get in the comments section with your thoughts about anything in the World Cup. Uh, I can read them out in the next episode. So please put your thoughts into writing in the comments section and get some discussion going. What do you think so far? Best teams, best players, best goal predictions? Let me talk about the... the what am I going to do? Talk about the groups? Okay, I'll talk about the groups. So I'm on the BBC's website here, trying to look for the groups in the schedule. Okay, there we go. Yes, that's right. I do say schedule, not schedule. This is British English, uh, not American English. Um, Right. So Group A, this was Uruguay, Russia, uh, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. So we we kicked off the uh, World Cup with uh, a 5-0 drubbing of Saudi Arabia by Russia. Uh, they they absolutely smashed Saudi Arabia 5-0. And there were a couple of amazing goals. I didn't actually see the game, but apparently Saudi Arabia's defence were pretty uh, rubbish. Um, and Russia managed to get five goals. Uh, as I said, some of them spectacular goals. So 5-0 Russia-Saudi Arabia, a great way to begin. And then we got results like Uruguay 1, Egypt 0, and Russia 3, Egypt 1. So a good start for Russia. Uh, Uruguay also beat Saudi Arabia 1-0, uh, and uh, so and then they beat Russia uh, there. So Uruguay ended uh, have ended top of their group with nine points. They're through. Russia in second place uh, in Group A with six points, and then Saudi Arabia and Egypt have both been knocked out. We move over to Group B. This was Spain, Portugal, Iran, and Morocco. And so this started with uh, Iran beating Morocco 1-0. And then we got one of the the best games of the competition so far, Portugal versus Spain, which was a a roller coaster ride. We didn't quite know uh, which team was going to win. There was a lot of flair going on on the pitch. It was a really fantastic match. Plenty of goals, some really great goals, especially one strike by a Spanish player whose name I cannot remember, but he volleyed it um, with his laces of his boot and it curved just inside the bar, just the dream goal. I mean, I guess the ball was just bouncing down in front of him and he whacked it kind of with his foot side on with the laces and the the ball sort of hovered across the ground at about waist height, curling into the the far post, making the net billow behind it. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, I sort of fancied Spain in that match. I thought that they seemed to dominate in the second half and the way they kept control, the way they kept possession was was brilliant. But of course, Portugal have got Cristiano Ronaldo, who I think scored a hat-trick in that game. And Cristiano Ronaldo is just a force of nature. I've been thinking during this uh, World Cup, which player I think is the best in the world, and it's like between him and Messi. But on current form, Ronaldo, I think, is is just outstanding. I mean... He does basically uh, carry the whole team, I think. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, that suggests that Portugal aren't great in their own right. 
we saw from the Euros two years ago that Portugal are capable of winning these you know big titles even without Ronaldo because I think he came off injured in the the final of the Euros against France uh, and Portugal won anyway so they're still great without him but especially with him I mean he just works so hard he's obviously got so much skill so much drive um, it's just impressive so I think that Portugal could go all the way uh, as long as Ronaldo is, you know, fighting in the same way that he is now, um, Spain, I think, had a, had a, well, they beat Iran and then they drew against Morocco. Portugal uh, pretty much did the same thing: drew against Iran and um, they beat Morocco. So Spain and Portugal are both in, uh, I guess, joint first place. I think that they're going to have to draw lots to decide who is actually going to end top of the group. To draw lots, like drawing straws to decide I think but Iran and Morocco are out as well uh, and we see Spain and Portugal going through the rest of the groups have not finished yet we've got um, group C which has France Denmark Australia and Peru in it France and Denmark are going to be playing each other later on this afternoon and I think Australia and Peru are playing today as well um, we can see yes basically the same time in a different place um, France are top of the group they beat Australia they, they also beat Peru 1-0 um, not entirely convincing in, in terms of their form. They can do better. They, they weren't that convincing, but they've managed to win. Um, and I think that along with Uruguay, Spain, Portugal, France, at the, you know, so far are probably one of the stronger teams you'd expect to go far. Denmark in second place, they managed to beat Peru and uh, draw with Australia. So they, they ended up with four points. So uh, I think France are basically a shoe in as the winners of Group C at this point. Although, if Denmark beat them, uh, France will end up coming in second, I think. I don't think there's any chance that France can't qualify at this stage. So, France are definitely through. And I guess that Australia and Peru will get knocked out here. Um, Group D, we see Croatia, Nigeria, Iceland and Argentina. And Argentina at the bottom of the list there, which is a bit of a shock. And they are uh, in grave danger of being knocked out. They actually play against Nigeria... Uh, this evening at uh, eight o'clock uh, Paris time, and I think they need to beat Argent. Uh, they need to beat Nigeria. They have to win if they're going to stand a chance. I think the door is closing. It's like it's a question of Argentina managing to get their foot in the door just before it closes. But it's going to be tough. I think they've got the quality. I think they have the the ability. I mean, obviously Messi needs to play a blinder, but the team also needs to up their game a bit. I think that. What I've heard is that with Argentina, they rely on Messi maybe a bit too much and that the team is a bit lopsided. It's, it's without Messi, uh, they're not that strong or that if Messi doesn't play a great game, then the team also doesn't play a great game. They've built their team around him. So he really needs to deliver. So there must be a lot of pressure on him. Can you imagine the pressure on this guy? Oof, must be tough. Must be very tough. But let's see if he's got the class to to kind of carry it off. I mean, I think he does. The things I've heard about um, about Messi are generally that he's, you know, a solid person. He's got a sort of strong mentality. He seems to be a decent guy. So let's see what he can do. It'll be interesting to, to watch that game later on. Um, other things. So Croatia have been um, a sort of surprising hit in uh, Group D and they're top of the group at the moment. They managed to, they thrashed Argentina 3-0. And also beat Nigeria 2-0 as well. So they're top of the group. Nigeria have been sort of a bit inconsistent 
Uh, they've definitely got the skill in there to, to do well, but sometimes they don't quite manage to make the team work as a whole. So they've got this inconsistent uh, record so far, uh, beating um, beating Iceland 2-0 and, and losing 2-0 to Croatia. Iceland are the team that everyone uh, loves to love. Uh, they're, they're kind of a popular team because they're an underdog team. And uh, Iceland itself is, is, has such a small population that some of these guys in the, profe- in the international football team are not even professionals. They're amateurs, I think, and they do other jobs. There's like one of them's a, a lawyer and one of them works in a, in a barber's shop or something like that. Or one of them's a dentist, some, something like that. So these guys are the true underdog team, although I think Panama are probably the weaker team. But um, Iceland, obviously, they have that sort of famous uh, sort of chant that they do. Ooh! You know, that thing where they clap their hands above their head and go, ooh, and they're like Vikings and stuff. And uh, um, and they managed to draw against Argentina, which was like a big result for them. Uh, and uh, But they lost against uh, Nigeria. I expect they'll lose to Croatia. I wouldn't be surprised if Croatia um, managed to get quite a few goals past Iceland, but we'll see. Iceland have got quite a good attitude about this, thing, this, this competition. They're just in it for, for fun and they really don't care what other people think. Nigeria versus Argentina. So this is the real tough challenge for Argentina. What do they need to do? They, so obviously they need to win. If they beat Nigeria, they, Argentina get four points and they go in second place. Um, if they draw against Nigeria, Nigeria goes through. So Argentina absolutely must beat uh, Nigeria. Um, but if Iceland beat Croatia, they might it depends on how many goals get scored. But Argentina have bad goal difference. They've got minus three. They've only scored... Um, how many goals have they scored? I don't know how many goals they've scored, but it's not many. One, They've scored one goal. So the goal difference is terrible, whereas Iceland have scored more, I think. Have they? No, Iceland have scored one. I don't know. It's too confusing. But anyway, Argentina are in a difficult position there. And they must beat Nigeria today to, to get through... Uh, into the second round. Group E is Brazil, Swe- uh, Switzerland, Serbia and Croatia. No. Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia and uh, Costa Rica. And Brazil are top of the group, although they drew against Switzerland, which was kind of an, uh, a shock. Uh, they've managed to beat Costa Rica 2-0 and lots of emo- emotional scenes. I think that uh, the Brazilian team were feeling the heat uh, feeling the pressure there because they needed a victory in order to make sure they could actually qualify for the next round. And Neymar, um, I don't know what to make of this guy. I mean, I was talking about Ronaldo and Messi and how they're impressive, not just for their skill, but for the mentality. Neymar sort of seemed to demonstrate some, I don't know how to describe it really. He was very emotional at the end of the game. Uh, because they won and so he cried and, and stuff like that. It's like, oh, hold on a minute, mate. Save the tears for later. You know, this is it's only the group stage. You've got like a second round, a quarterfinal, semi-final, final to look at before you start crying. Um, I know it's like, I, I don't know why he was doing that. Maybe he genuinely felt it. Maybe there was that much pressure on him. Uh, but also there were various other things. I think he was diving quite a lot. I can't stand diving really does my head in. I'm going to talk more about that in a bit. But anyway, Brazil, okay, clawed their way back uh, into first place here. And they play Serbia um, later on uh, this week. And also you've got Switzerland and Costa Rica later on. I expect it'll be, 
I don't know. It could be Brazil, Switzerland or Brazil, Serbia. We'll see. But I think Brazil will probably go through. Uh, group F, we've got Mexico, Germany, Sweden and South Korea. And so Mexico, top of the group. And they've shown some real class, actually, uh, so far, Mexico. They've been a, a real team to watch uh, as they beat Germany in their first game. Uh, they also beat South Korea 2-1. And uh, they're playing uh, Sweden on Wednesday. Uh, but they two victories, so they've got six points there. Germany had a bit of a tough time. And I think they scraped through into second place here. They really did. Uh, was it Saturday night? I was watching the game against Sweden. And it looked like, first of all, they were going to lose. And and I thought, my God, Germany are going to get knocked out in the group stage of a World Cup. Surely not. And then, of course, in something like the 94th minute, uh, Germany managed to score a goal, uh, which was just uh, unbelievable. So they scraped through very luckily. Is it lucky or is it hard work? I don't know. But, uh, of course, Germany are, are, are okay, and they've got three points at least, which is level with Sweden. So it's not absolutely guaranteed for Germany at this stage. Um, um, so what do they need to do? Well, they need to win, don't they? Sweden, well, if they draw and Sweden uh, lose, then they're okay. If they win and Sweden draw or lose, then they're okay. But if Sweden wins too, then it's going to be down to goal difference and maybe even uh you know put, choosing lots to decide who goes through but you know who knows korea might uh, beat sweden we'll see uh no mexico might beat sweden i don't know anyway we'll find out basically what i'm trying to say is we don't know what's going to happen anything could happen we just need to watch the games and find out goal you know that kind of thing group g is england belgium tunisia and panama so England play, uh, played uh, against Belgium. No, we haven't played Belgium yet. We're going to do that uh, on Thursday. That's going to be a big game for England playing Belgium. I think Belgium are... They have been described in the past as the dark horse favourite. If you describe something as a dark horse, it means it's some, some someone or something that has qualities that you don't really expect. Someone who's maybe better, uh, more experienced than you first realised. So Belgium have always been the dark horse candidate meaning the, the, the ones who actually have got a great team and they could go all the way, but people don't always talk about them. We're always talking about Brazil, Germany, Argentina, you know, the bigger teams, and people forget about Belgium. And they've certainly proved themselves. They've, um, they've won twice in very um, persuasive fashion, beating Panama 3-0, but you'd expect them to beat Panama, to be fair. Um, and they beat Tunisia 5-2, which was, well, certainly very convincing. And they've got some outstanding players. Uh, England are top of the group, mainly thanks to the goal difference, I think, or maybe yellow cards. We managed to beat Tunisia uh, 2-1. It was a bit like the German game in the sense that we scored a goal right at the end. But there it is. We beat uh, Tunisia. And then, of course, on Sunday, we absolutely smashed Panama 6-1. And... The first half of that game was really unprecedented and tons of records got broken, including like the, you know, the most number of goals for an England in a World Cup match and hat trick uh, for a for an England player in a World Cup and that sort of thing. So it was a, a really extraordinary game and we hammered Panama, especially in the first half, got another goal past them in the second half. Quite a lot of penalties going on. I think we got two penalties 
Uh, Harry Kane scored them both. Each one was completely identical. So the first one, he absolutely hammered it into the top left-hand corner. And the ball went so quick, the goalkeeper had no chance. Second one, I thought, what's he going to do this time? And he stepped up and just hammered it into the top left-hand corner again. Uh, so I, I think the goalkeeper didn't have a chance anyway, even if he had predicted which way it would go. But um, we, it was a 6-1 drubbing of Panama by England, which was obviously satisfying in a sense for us England fans, because that's not something that usually happens. Normally, we get knocked out by the minnows, the small teams, like the way we got knocked out against Iceland in the Euros two years ago. Um, so before the World Cup, I was sort of lowering my expectations for England. But that was a, a pleasant surprise and very satisfying to see that many goals going in um, for the three Lions. I mean, Panama, they're probably the, the weakest team in the championship. So it's not really anything to get super excited about. Uh, but it's still nice. And I think it's probably good for the confidence of the players. It's nice for them to get some goals under their belt. I think Harry Kane is competing for the golden boot already. So that could be interesting. So on that form, I think England are capable. They've shown that they're capable of playing pretty good football. I might talk about England again in a, in a minute. Tunisia, Panama, I think that they're out. I think so. What it comes down to now is England versus Belgium, and that's going to decide who ends up top of the group. Um, and there's some people sort of suggesting that maybe England need to be strategic here and maybe finish second, because if we do finish second, we might be able to like avoid Brazil in the quarterfinal or do other, some other strategic move. Um, personally, I think that England should just go out and try and beat Belgium and whatever comes next, we'll just deal with that as it comes. And what we really need to focus on is just playing the best we can and trying to beat the team because you want, you want to you know, keep winning. It's good for you. It's good for your confidence. It's good for the team to win and to score goals. So I think we need to go out there and take the game to, to Belgium and give it our best shot and we'll see. I'll talk more about England in a minute. Um, so there we go. That's Group G, basically. I think it's going to be England and Belgium. I think that's already been decided. So I think Tunisia and Panama, unfortunately, are out. I'm not talking that much about the smaller teams like Tunisia, for example. Um, just isn't time because there's so many teams in this World Cup. Okay, so Group H, we have Japan, Senegal, Colombia and Poland. And this is kind of an interesting group. Um, I guess there wasn't one team that was the outstanding favourite. And England got quite lucky in the sense that we are facing one of these teams in the second round. But which team would we rather face? Um, Colombia, I think, have looked pretty good. Uh, although they, they lost to Japan in their first game on the 19th of June. Uh, that... That meant that Japan, I think, went top of the group. Um, Japan have been playing pretty well, actually. Beat Colombia, drew against Senegal. That's why they're top. Senegal also not doing too badly. Beat Poland and drew against Japan. So actually, Senegal, Japan, I think, are in equal top position. Then we've got Colombia, who did lose to Japan, but they beat Poland 3-0. And the way that they played was really great. I mean, I saw it on the TV the other day and they were very convincing indeed. They played some very attractive football. There were some wonderfully threaded passes. One pass in particular from Rodriguez who managed to slide the ball way out forwards in front of him and curl it round right into the path of one of their strikers who went on to score, I believe. So some really great uh, passing going on and very attractive football. So I guess Colombia, along with probably Mexico, um, one of the one of the teams to to watch. I think Poland are out, unfortunately, 
against uh, Colombia, their defence kind of crumbled a little bit and they left big holes, which allowed those impressive passes to be made. Pity for, for Poland. Uh, but it's between Colombia, Senegal and Japan. Senegal, I haven't actually seen them play, so I can't really comment. But I think they've done, they've obviously done very well, haven't they, um, so far? We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't know who England would rather play. I've, I feel like we'd rather play Japan. I think if we come second, we'll end up playing Japan. If we come first, we could end up facing Colombia or Senegal. And the, the kind of football those guys play, it's kind of... Um, exciting football isn't it it could be good it could be an interesting game but i think belgium are the first real challenge for england so far okay so uh, i wanted to talk about the teams again but i think i've probably done the teams i think so i've talked about the groups let me just put that link on the page for this episode i was just using the bbc's website to check their group stage there my world cup wall chart is downstairs i don't have it in front of me favorite teams to win well here's a list of teams which i think are probably Considered to be the favourites. How many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. About twelve teams. Argentina should be a favourite, but um, they haven't uh, really um, done much so far. So if they manage to get through to the second round, I think then they can perhaps be con- considered a, a favourite still. Brazil still in there, although the form has been a bit wobbly. Germany also have been underperforming somewhat. Uh, but the thing is with Germany is that they're kind of like the opposite of England or maybe the opposite to how England used to be. That England usually play really well in the qualifying stages. We play really well in the friendly games. But when it comes to the high pressure matches, we sometimes crumble and fall apart. and We, we lose penalty shootouts and things like that because of the pressure. Germany, on the other hand, are kind of different when they're playing the, the, the low status games. They don't play as well. But when the pressure is on... Somehow they kind of show their class a little bit and they pull together and they they show off those impressive teamwork skills that they have. And often they they produce the goods when it's needed. I mean, you can see how they survived uh, against Sweden. I think Germany, you can never underestimate Germany. You know, people keep saying the World Cup is a, a competition in which... Uh, you know, 32 teams play play football against each other and in which Germany always wins. You know, there's that joke, isn't there, which I've seen being shared on the internet and stuff. So don't underestimate Germany. I think they're still one of the favourites just because of the way that they can play so cohesively. They can operate so efficiently as a, as a machine. Uh, then we've got Belgium, as I said, dark horse favourites. I think that they're up there too, maybe in the top four. Portugal... Yes, well, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, say no more, basically. Spain, um, if they can keep keep it together and play like they played in the second half against Portugal, I think Spain are definitely up there. And I think the, the class, the level of football that they play is, is truly international when they're on form. England, well, OK, so... Well, we know, we know about England's track record in these competitions. Since 1990, we haven't... Well, 1990 was the semi-final against Germany. And then before that, we got to the final and won in 1966. But those are our two outstanding achievements in the World Cup so far. A quarter-final here and there. Um, What people were saying before the World Cup started is that they'd basically be happy if England get to the quarter-finals. I'd still be happy with that. Although we've we've been playing pretty well, I'd still be happy with a quarter-final place. I still wonder if, if we are capable of like competing at the highest level when you've got teams you know like Portugal, Brazil, um, Argentina 
um, and maybe Uruguay uh, that that have such outstanding players. Can would we be able to compete with our team of guys who are there to sort of support other players in the Premiership? I feel like England. It's like a team of supporting players to an extent, and that they all play in the Premiership, but they play alongside some extreme international talent. Uh, but here they are, without all of that extreme international talent, playing together. If they can pull together in the way that Germany can, I think that England uh, are capable of going far. Uh, and they're a young team, which means that you know they, they need to prove themselves. They haven't sort of had their peak moments in their careers yet. So they're all sort of you know emerging and, and rising uh, in terms of form. Uh, they're probably at their peak of physical fitness. I think they're capable. They're capable of doing it. But... I don't know. I just don't know if there's enough pure talent in there and enough teamwork. And also other factors, which always strike me about England. Um, we've got basically a new generation of footballers, and we don't really know them yet. They're, they're a little bit bland, it has to be said. The team are a bit dull and boring, um, or at least their personalities haven't really shone through yet. Uh, I mean, they've got haircuts that's kind of it as far as I can see. I don't really see that much personality going on. It's not like 1990 when every single player on the pitch for England was a, was a character. We had Stuart Pearce, the psycho, and we had Paul Gascoigne, the clown, and, you know, Gary Lineker, the gentleman, and uh, these other players that had, you know, obvious personalities and stuff. Don't know about the England team. But anyway, generations, generations. So we're, this is a new generation. The previous generation for England is sometimes known as the golden generation. Um, and that was when we had players like Rooney and Beckham and uh, Gerrard and Ferdinand uh, and, you know, guys like that who were the backbone of the team. Michael Owen, you know, um, that was considered to be the, the golden generation because we had a lot of talent in the team at that time. But they, they, they never really delivered. Um, always a bit of a disappointment. They never really managed to perform for England in the same way that they could perform for their clubs. And people wondered why, you know, maybe they were more uh, loyal to their clubs or they were exhausted from playing in the premiership all year or something. I don't know, it's hard to tell, but you never got the sense that they really, really, truly wanted it or that they really, truly felt that they deserved it. I'm sure that's something to do with it. Somehow England players, they, they seem a bit cool and they, they're not that hungry that you don't get that passion and drive that you see in Ronaldo. I've just seen so many games, certainly with the previous generation, where the players are sort of nervous and uncomfortable and self-conscious and fluffing the ball and, you know, like losing possession and the goalkeepers making stupid mistakes and we're missing penalties and mentally we're just not sort of in the zone. So I hope these guys, these these young guys can just get into the, the right zone mentally and that they're not just all on Instagram all the time and just social media itting up all the time um so we'll see we will see what happens with england but um yeah at least quarterfinals and i think i'd be pretty much happy with that uh quarterfinals against brazil could be interesting i'd like to see england go up against one of the bigger teams we'll see what happens france um kind of almost a similar story with france in the sense that um people are not that enthusiastic about uh, the team the French people I speak to are not going on about how it's a wonderful team. Uh, the French had their golden generation around the time of World Cup 98, 
when uh, they won the World Cup in, in France. Huge moment for football in France. And that was the dream team with Zinedine Zidane and Thierry Henry and various other players. Um, but uh, France often they're a little bit sceptical about their own team. In the past with France, they've had real problems with personalities. Uh, personalities who were just arrogant, frankly. Like unbelievable levels of arrogance. Where the team were actually going on strike during the World Cup. Can you imagine going on strike? Only the French could do this, right? Only the French could do that. Actually go on strike during the World Cup, for goodness sake. Um, um, but uh, I think the, the, the new team have been selected um, because they're not difficult personalities. I think a couple of people didn't make the French team because they were considered to be sort of um, not right for the, for, the, for the fit. You know, they weren't the right personalities and they caused friction with other members of the team and stuff like that. So I think the team has been selected on good behaviour to an extent. Colombia, I don't really know much about actually Colombia, Uruguay, Mexico or Croatia, except that they're performing pretty well this time. And I think that we should keep our eyes on these teams. I think they're capable of some pretty exciting stuff. Croatia, uh, is that who, that's the team that has... Um, Luka Modric, isn't it? People keep telling me that I look like him. And I don't think I really look like him anymore because these days I've got a beard. Well, I do right now. I shave it off sometimes. But I used to have kind of longer hair. I used to have this sort of mid-length hair. Like when I first started doing this podcast and I did a few videos with this sort of mid-length hair. And I, look, I looked a bit like Luka Mod- Modric. Is that how you say his name? I looked just like him. And now when we're watching TV with my wife, uh, and Modric is on the pitch. I'm like, hey, look, it's me. And she she always laughs about the fact that Modric looks kind of like me. There's something, there's something sort of similar, but not exactly the same, but it's hard to tell. But I do look a bit like him, especially when I had that mid-length hair. So it's kind of fun to have uh, your own doppelganger on the pitch playing for you. It's like a game of FIFA where you've like uh, redesigned some of the faces of the players so that they look like you and your friends. I don't know if you, you ever did that. That is some of the, the most fun that you can have with the game of FIFA. I don't know if you can do it on the more recent versions, but I had a version of FIFA, the computer game, on uh, the Nintendo GameCube years ago, and it had the option to modify the players. So I created a whole team of players just from people, my family and friends. So it was me up front with my brother, James, and then like all the other people in my, f- my family and all my friends. And you could redesign the way they look. You know, you could actually quite carefully uh, change their face and their hair, their height and their weight and stuff like that. So I had my dad and my uncle on the pitch and stuff. It was absolutely hilarious seeing the celebrations. You know, you get those little cut scenes when a player scores a goal, they do like a special celebration. You could set the celebration and you could just watch yourself celebrating. It's like a really badly drawn version of you or badly drawn version of your brother. Oh, those were the good times. Um, okay, so what about VAR or VAR as it's known? VAR, I don't know how you say it. Do you say VAR or VAR? This is the video assisted or video assistant referee. So this is a new system that's been introduced uh, this year at uh, the, uh, the World Cup. And basically, it's like video referees. It's, de- it's, it's been introduced in order to make refereeing decisions more accurate, fair and transparent. And apparently, uh, Putin has volunteered to personally be in control of the VAR during the championship, which should be interesting. Ha ha ha. Okay, that's enough of that, Luke. Please stop it. Okay. So um, basically, there's a team of people in a little room studying video replays. 
And there's also a little video replay at the side of the pitch for the referee to have a look at. So this basically means that if there's a, like a dodgy decision or maybe a foul, it could be a penalty, was that handball, uh, was it offside, uh, all these things, uh, if the referee's not entirely sure, he could basically uh, refer to the VAR or he can sort of get the advice of the VAR. I'm not entirely sure how it works, right? I don't know, for example, if VAR say, yeah, that was a goal, does the referee have to say it was a goal or can he still choose? Is it just, is it just advisory or is it binding? I mean, is it like Brexit? Like, is it, it's just an advisory thing um, and the referee can still choose whether to implement it or not? Uh, I don't know. Or, and, and maybe it is like that because that's how Brexit is, that the referendum was just advisory. It's not a binding uh, decision. It's just uh, like basically the government was like, let's just get the advice of the public, see what they think. Uh, whereas everyone is convinced that the government has to do it because the public have spoken, it's democracy in action and all that stuff. But actually, the system is that it was not a binding agreement. Maybe VAR is like that, that it, the, the VAR team will show it's a goal and the referee will be like, well, the people have spoken, it's democracy in action, so we're going to have to give the goal. I don't really know. I think there are various grey areas. I'm not entirely sure how it always works. But uh, how has it affected the games? Well, you, there's been stoppage time. You know, this is when, for example, the game just stops, maybe because there's an injury or because the referee is consulting with VAR. And that creates stoppage time. So the games are all going sort of five minutes longer than, than they, they were scheduled. Lots of stoppage time. And it slows the game down as well. You get these pauses in the game. So it's kind of a bit annoying the way it slows things down. Uh, also, there have, been, there have been more penalties. I think that we've had more penalties in this World Cup than we've had in any other World Cup so far. Um, given, like, awarded on the field, not, not as part of penalty shootouts. More penalties. And also, there have been some moments when VAR is not being used, but it definitely should have been used. Um, you know, like a clear foul or an obvious offside, and the, the referee doesn't go for VAR. And you kind of think, why not? Why is he not going for it this time? That was obviously not a goal. Uh, and also, there have been moments when it's not right. Um, you know, like just VAR has decided something is offside when it's obviously not. Or moments when, as I've said, VAR have said, yeah, that was a foul and the referee hasn't given a penalty or something. Just weird inconsistencies. Um, so I wonder how it's going to work out. Maybe uh, players will stop cheating. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I hope the players do stop cheating because I can't stand the way that players cheat. And I do consider diving and faking and lying. I think those things to, as I, I consider those things to be cheating and pathetic at the same time. Um, I mean, diving, like throwing yourself on the ground, play acting, holding your face, like rolling around on the ground, just just being brushed by someone's fingers. I think this happened the other day. Someone's fingers like brushed a guy's nose, like tickled his nose, and the guy fell to the ground, clawing at his face with his hands. Ah, my face, my eyes, my eyes. You know, it's just pathetic. It's like, mate, he breathed on you and you flipped into the air like a salmon. Dude, like, it's blatant. The whole world is watching you on video. There are replays. We can see that you're just lying and you're doing it badly. It's pathetic. And they roll around on the floor, clawing at their face. And then next minute, they're up running around again, like no problem at all. I just think it's pathetic. And I think it's a big disappointment. If you ever watch a game of rugby, like in rugby, these guys are seriously tough. They are like, like 
uh, slamming into each other as fast and as hard as possible. They're, they're, they're getting, like, stamped on. They're getting trodden on. Uh, fingers are getting, like, crushed underneath people's uh, boots. Uh, shoulders and heads are clashing. Like, literally, their ears get all injured over time because they get, you know, cut and stuff. They get, like, big bruises and big lunky heads from from rugby. They're constantly rolling around the, on the floor, getting punched and kicked, and they just get up and carry on. Footballers, you just you look at them for too long, and they'll they'll just you know fall to the ground holding their leg. Um, it's unbelievable, and it's it's just you know I hope that VAR kind of cuts this out because I don't think it's a good thing to be showing to 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 kids that this is a a normal part of the game that gamesmanship, just doing all these sneaky things rather than actually playing football is the way forward. I watched some old clips of football from like the 70s or 60s the other day and it was amazing how how tough the guys were. They were all getting kicked about and they didn't go down. Like George Best, uh, uh, an Irish footballer from Northern Ireland, uh, one of the great footballers that we've ever had, never played in a World Cup, unfortunately, but a great footballer, like Pele level of talent, like a Messi sort of talent. Interesting guy. Uh, he, he was playing... Uh, and um, like he was getting kicked around all over the place, but he was dodging and still uh, holding possession, and he never went down. Whereas these days, people would have been throwing themselves down. I think I've made my point. I think I have made my point. So, what about some predictions, ladies and gents? Do you have any predictions? I've really got no idea. Although I sort of fancy Germany, I think Spain or Portugal could could do it. Um, certainly, Portugal. Belgium are in with a chance. If Germany can actually uh, pull their socks up, then obviously they're always going to be a challenger. France, England, it's possible, mainly. Maybe we'll get a surprise and we'll see like Mexico or Colombia come through and do something special. Who knows? We don't know. But um, on the BBC's website, there is a, a sort of predictor, a World Cup predictor, which uses various ways of predicting how uh, the World Cup's going to go. And based on previous world cups they've drawn up this prediction so the world cup so far has got um 32 teams in it but here's a way for us to narrow it down and make a prediction at the end so the first factor that we can see from the past is that the the teams that get into the final have been seeded these are the seeded teams or the teams that are considered to be uh you know the top teams in the tournament because of the the um the uh, qualification process so they they come out with the most points and so they're considered seeded teams placed in the top part of the of their group and so of all the seeded teams we've got france germany brazil portugal argentina belgium poland and russia so england already you know excluded because they're not a seeded team this is based on data from you know previous tournaments right so you have to be seeded so we've got poland in there i'm not sure that's accurate but anyway Another thing it says is don't be the hosts. I actually thought this was the other way around. I thought it was an advantage to be the host, but apparently not. Um, The website says uh, don't be the hosts. Russia benefit from a 44-year tradition of the host nation being seeded, 
With a world ranking of 66, they wouldn't be one of the top eights if they weren't staging the party. Hosting the World Cup, though, is not the route to success it once was. The first 11 editions of the tournament, from 1930 to 1978, produced five home winners. Since then, the past nine tournaments have seen the hosts crowned champions only once. That was France in 1998. So while it was never likely that the United States, Japan, South Korea or South Africa were going to win the World Cup, Italy in 1990, Germany in 2006 and Brazil four years ago were not helped by being the the host nation. So apparently it doesn't help you that much to be the host nation. Next thing is to keep it tight. Oh, by the way, host nation. So that narrows it down. That means the Russia are out. So we've got France, Germany, Brazil, Portugal, Argentina, Belgium and Poland. The next way of narrowing it down or whittling it down is this. Keep it tight. So in the 32-team era, none of the five champions have conceded more than four goals over their seven games. So it's about conceding goals. To concede a goal means when the other team scores against you. You concede a goal and you score a goal, okay? Conceding goals. So looking at our seven remaining sides, Poland had by far the leakiest defence. A leak in the defence, meaning like goals managed to get through the defence and they conceded 1.4 goals per game, I think in the qualification process. Germany and Poland conceded 0.4 goals per game. Belgium and France, 0.6. Brazil, 0.61. And Argentina, 0.88. So that means that Poland are out because they had a leaky defence. So we're left with France, Germany, Brazil, Portugal, Argentina, Belgium. Looks like a pretty strong selection of teams. The next category is that you have to be from Europe. World Cup winners have only ever come from Europe and South America. Until recently, European teams didn't travel well. But Spain's success in South Africa and Germany's triumph in Brazil bucked the trend. To buck the trend means to go against the trend. For example, if everyone's wearing white trainers, you buck the trend and you wear black trainers. In this case, uh, Spain, what is it? Brazil bucked the trend. Um, Yes, European teams, Spain's success in South Africa and Germany's triumph in Brazil. So Spain and Germany bucked the trend of European teams not, not succeeding abroad. European tournaments, though, almost always produce home winners. Of the 10 competitions to be hosted by countries from Europe, only one has won, only one has been won by an outsider. And you have to go all the way back to 1958 for Brazil's win in Sweden. So basically, when the World Cup's held in Europe, a European team almost always wins. So that cuts out Brazil and Argentina. And I guess they consider it being held in Russia as being Europe, it seems. Again, okay. The next thing is you have to be the you have to have the best goalkeeper. So the goalkeeper is extremely important. We sometimes forget about the value of having a good goalkeeper. Uh, you might think goal scorers win World Cups, but only twice since 1982 have the champions provided the winner of the Golden Boot. Brazil's Ronaldo in 2002 and David Villa of Spain involved in a four-way tie in 2010. But World Cup winners are actually more accurately defined by their goalkeeper with four of, the fa- uh, four of the past five Golden Glove Awards for the best keeper in the tournament going to the number one of the team that lifts the trophy. So four out of five best goalkeepers win the World Cup, uh, have won the World Cup recently. Of the remaining four teams, it's not hard to imagine any of Manuel Neuer from Germany, Hugo Loris from France, or Thibaut Courtois from Belgium 
It's not hard to imagine any of them being named the best goalkeeper this time around. It seems much more of a stretch that Portugal's Rui Patricio will walk away with the Golden Glove. So they've eliminated Portugal because their goalkeeper's not good enough. So that leaves us with France, Belgium, Germany. Next thing is that you have to have the experience. World Cup winning squads are generally Sorry, World Cup winning squads are steadily getting more experienced, a trend that began when the finals expanded to 32 teams in 1998. On that occasion, Champions France had a squad that averaged 22.77 caps per player. A cap, you get a cap when you play for your country. So um, when they won, when France won in 98, they had a, each player had an average of 22.77 caps. Four years ago, Germany uh, had 42.21 caps each. In between, there was a gradual rise. Brazil averaged 28.4 in 2002, and Italy 32.91 in 2006, and Spain 38.3 in 2010. So the more experienced teams are getting you know, more successful. When our three remaining teams named their final squads, France's average caps was down at 24.56, while Germany's was at 43.26 and Belgium's 45.13. So Belgium is the most experienced team, then Germany and then France uh, less experienced than the other two. So they're out then. So we've got two teams left, Belgium and Germany. I wouldn't be surprised if they're actually teams that end up in the in the World Cup final. We'll see. But who's going to win? So it says, don't be the defending champions. The World Cup is hard to defend. Not since Brazil, um, who won back-to-back tournaments in 1958 and 1962, has a team lifted the trophy twice in a row. So it's only Brazil, 58 and 62. No one else since. In fact, since that Brazil double, the 13 defending champions have only got past the quarterfinals in two occasions, Argentina in 1990 and Brazil in 1998, though Brazil did finish fourth in 1974 when the format was two group stages, then a final. In the past four tournaments, the defending champions have been eliminated in the group stage on three occasions. So the last four tournaments, the defending champions have been eliminated in the group stage. So if you win the next time, it seems you're likely to be eliminated early. Germany have an excellent recent World Cup pedigree. In the past nine tournaments, including three as West Germany, they've won twice, reached three more finals and finished third on two more occasions. However, when it comes to winning it again in Russia, history is against them. So there you have it. Belgium are going to win the World Cup, unless someone else does, which is possible, of course. So did you get that last one? That uh, if you've won it recently, your form in the next one will be lower. So by that um, criteria... Uh, Germany will be out and Belgium are going to win according to this uh, statistical approach to predicting the winner. That's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to me going on and on and on about football for so long. Let me just remind you to get my app, Luke's English Podcast app in the App Store. You can get all the free stuff that's in there and also you can sign up with LEP Premium at uh, teacherluke.co.uk slash premium and join the cl- join the gang. I've got like a special group of non-ninjas who are part of the team. So join, get on board, ladies and gents. I've got loads of ideas for LEP Premium. There's going to be all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I'm serious about it. I'm absolutely serious about uh, uploading quality content in there, all with a specific focus on language teaching. I've got a particular set of skills 
um, you see, and uh, skills that I've acquired over a long career, skills that make me a great benefit to someone like you. Um, so, you know, take advantage of those skills for just the price of a beer or a cup of coffee every month um, and uh, join the gang, teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. Okay, so as I said, please let us know what you think of the World Cup this year. What, what do you think of what's already happened and what do you think about what's going to happen? I look forward to reading your comments and reading some of them out in forthcoming episodes about the World Cup. I expect there's going to be at least one more, maybe two more. We'll see what happens uh, I will be going home to see my parents uh, in the beginning of July and spending some time uh, with my parents. Um, and there'll be lots of World Cup quarterfinals happening. So I don't know. If I, if I get a chance to talk to my dad about what's going on, then I will. He's a big football fan. And we might be able to get like a, a Rick Thompson report about the World Cup. That could be good, wouldn't it? I'll see. I mean, you know, it's difficult to, to find the time because family time and all that stuff. But I'll, I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening in any case. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.